0: Welcome back to another episode of the IFC's Individuation Podcast. My name is James Malamus, We've got a great episode for you. Today, we welcome back Dr. Eric Tomlinson and Lisa Hong. This time to discuss the archetypal symbols in fairy tales, chapters 8 and 9, The Clashing Rock and the Forest. It's a great discussion. We can't wait for you to hear it. If you enjoy the IFC's Individuation Podcast and want to support, make sure to rate the podcast five stars on iTunes and wherever you get your podcasts. So without any further ado, Dr. Samurai, Take it away. Welcome to another
1: episode of the Institute for Conflicts uh, Individuation Podcast. I am Dr. Lahab El Samurai. With me today is uh, Lisa Hong and Dr. Eric Tomlinson. And we are here uh, to continue our journey through um, the forest of von Franz's archetypal symbols in fairy tales. I don't know why I keep forgetting that. I have to look at it once in a while. Um, Today, we're gonna be going through chapter eight, the clashing rocks and chapter nine, the forest. So, um, just check in with the gang here. see how they're doing before we start today. How's everybody doing?
2: Doing well, sir. Yeah, feeling good.
1: Feeling good. Okay, great. So, who's gonna start (laughs) us off today uh, with the? um, That'll be me. Clashing rocks. With the
3: clashing, gnashing rocks.
1: The clashing, gnashing rocks.
3: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Gnashing and
1: (laughs) clashing at the same time. Oh, they are.
3: As you will hear, they're gnashing. Okay. so I'll just get right to the story. It's called um, The Kayak Wizard's Dangerous Man Traps. Actually, never read the title till just now. That's interesting. <laughs> Let that sink in. Okay. Um, and this is another uh, Inuit tale. And here we go The Adventures of Wonderhawk. Early in the morning, Wanderhawk, as usual, ate a little of his mother's magic food and then put on his amulet shirt, for today he expected greater difficulties than usual. Then he and his uncle drifted again down the river with the current. Soon they heard a booming noise ahead of them, which increased gradually as they came nearer. Now they came in sight of two steep cliffs, which jutted out from either side of the bank of the river, opening and shutting, like a big mouth that is chewing. Every time they closed, all the water of the river foamed into mighty whirl- whirlpools. Wonder Hawk had to paddle to and fro all the time, keeping an un- uninterrupted motion so as not to be swallowed in the maelstrom. The mountain's mighty sluice gates dammed up the river, great, great river flood into a, a boiling cauldron. At last, he said, Uncle, shut your eyes. And he began to sing a magic song. Rebel will I, free and scatheless, twixt these pre- precipices narrow, lip against each other, biting. And immediately the cliffs opened and the kayak darted through, but so quickly did the rocks shut after them that they cut off the point of the stern and some of the falcon's tailbones. And that is uh, one of the adventures.
1: So, The Adventures of Wonderhawk. What do we think of The Clashing Rocks? It's a very short fairy tale, so um, we're gonna kind of move through it and try to explain it as much as possible. So, uh, Wonderhawk, the beginning of it um, is that he has sight of the hawk. That's why his name is Wonderhawk. He has the sight, he has the foresight He sees way ahead of him. So he sees um, clear across the world as he sees the rocks. The rocks are a symbol when the water hits the rocks are clashing between the um, heavens and the earth. The clash between that which is seen and that which is unseen. So the water would be the unconscious, that which is unseen the rocks would be the consciousness that is which seen and the rocks stand like teeth and they grind and chew and cut with booming noises. So the boom of the noise gives it the ferocity of the immense power that it has. Um, he says in here, what Lisa read, now they came inside of two steep cliffs, which jutted out from either side of the bank of the river. So they come up towards each other, these rocks. So the kayak has to go right through them. If you're thinking of a kayak, kayak is made of like wood. Mm. um it's very light <clears throat> um it's put together with rope so what he has is he takes a journey down the river on the top of the unconscious and opening and shedding like a big mouth that is chewing so every time the water rises and collapses on the rocks You can't see the rocks. When the water starts to ebb, then the rocks come out again. So it's seen, but unseen. It's part of the unconscious. So parts of it show themselves and the bigger parts don't show themselves. So it might look like a very small rock and you just have to maneuver a little around it. But suddenly it's this huge rock that sticks out like teeth. The Wonderhawk had to paddle to and fro all the time, keeping uninterrupted motion so as not to be swallowed in the maelstrom. So Wonderhawk had to um, contain a, a precise motion that was repetitive throughout to make it through, which requires a great deal of concentration so, if any anybody has gone rapid water kind of um, boating, or have you gone, Lisa? Yeah. You know it. <laughs> yeah. Well, tell us about that experience. Tell us what that's like, because I haven't. So, I'm I'm talking about it. But.
3: Sure. Um, when you're riding a river, uh, there are many dangers below, and what is still up top can indicate. Um, a depth below uh, surface waters are not all that it seems.
1: What you see, which is which, is a great point. It's not what it seems. So what you think you see is not exactly what's there. Mm-hmm. So it could be very very dangerous, and from the outside it looks pretty harmless. Mm-hmm. So that is one of the one of the things that are in the story.
3: Mm-hmm. And features uh, as the river bends and turns or divides or merge can increase and decrease the speed of the water significantly.
1: So the speed of the water is the the life cycle. It's how certain parts of our life, sometimes we speed through, we don't remember very well, and certain parts seem to lag on for long periods of time. Mm -hmm. When we're in pain when we are stuck, we seem to be lagging on for it seems eternity as we go through it. Like last week's tale um, where um, he goes to the end of the earth, it seems to lag on forever. The darkness seems to hold forever. In today's tale, it's, it's moving rapidly. He is, he is set it says, he's set, he puts on on his amulet shirt to protect him against this evil that is unseen. Not that the rocks are evil, but that which we do not know that could harm us potentially can be evil. Um, He also, he knows from the get go that today is going to be a difficult day, and that's because he's Wonder Hawk. It's the wandering, it's the flying hawk, it's the hawk that observes, that flies around, and scours their terrain. The motif is perfectly well portrayed in Inuit tale The Kayak Wizard's Dangerous Man Trap. So the man traps are traps that catches man. These are the traps that are unseen in the unconscious. The clash between the heaven and the earth is the clash between the water and the rocks where the earth is seen, where the water is unseen. Why is the water unseen? Because you can't really tell where the water is. You can't tell where it's going and you don't know what's covering. Any thoughts, Eric? Uh, Yeah,
2: having been uh, not on any significant rapid rivers, but I've been canoeing on a number of rivers here in Florida, and one thing you notice about it is that um, when you're going downstream as they were, there's very little work you have to do. (laughs) I mean, you're you're floating, uh, you're moving without even having to paddle, basically other than to guide yourself. And you can just kind of take the time to look around and see what's going on, enjoy the environment, enjoy the quietness, the beauty of, of your surroundings. But you think you're paused there in a moment of time, but you're, you're moving down the river of life faster than you realize. And so that's one thing that hit me right in the beginning is that no matter how prepared he was i mean he he, no matter how observant and wise he was and ability to see ahead he still had to eat his magic food he still had to put on his amulet shirt because he knew that no matter how prepared you are you still got work to do when you're going down the river of life yes it's going to be it's going to be easy sailing here and there but once you get to where it's not you better be focused and ready and ready to work uh, in order to avoid tragedy. So that's kind of what stuck out Ooh. to me right off the bat.
1: Lisa, any thoughts about our wandering hawk? There.
0: Um,
3: uh... Is the undercurring? I mean, we've been going talking about a lot about water being part of the unconscious, but it's also recognized as life
1: mm-hmm. and
3: having moving through slits. Mm-hmm. It makes me think of birth.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And um, I wonder what his next adventure was <laughs> after this if it was moving into a new chapter
1: of this story. Which is is great. So here in the book, it says, Jung emphasizes the maternal meaning, whereby the mother signifies the unconscious as maternal fundament of all conscious life in various fairy tales. So the, the birth is when he's going through these two large cliffs, is what Lisa's saying, is that he's being reborn. So the journey in life is never the same Is transformative you are reborn several times you are killed several times in the journey to um, go through life life is not a simple um, canoe through uh, water and even if it's what what seems simple as eric was saying becomes very treacherous very quickly what you're thinking that you are on Um, solid ground. You are never on solid ground. The ground always shifts. In this case, it's water. So it's shifting very, very rapidly. And the unconscious is what you can see of the unconscious is its borders, but you can't see within the unconscious. But things from the unconscious come up towards you. So if you've ever been fishing, you don't actually know where the fish are unless you're cheating and using radar, but you don't know where the schools of fish are. You are fishing. You are waiting for something from the unconscious to appear to you, to come to you, to catch on your hook. So in this tale, he eats the magical food in the morning. And eating the magical food is that part of us that needs to be nourished to be able to go on a magical adventure. Because this adventure, and this is what he's doing, he's going on an adventure. And it's an adventure of two men, one younger and one older. One who can see far and one who has the knowledge of seeing far. So him and his uncle are the two who are going through it. So early in the morning, Wonder Hawk, as usual, ate a little of his mother's magic food. So the nourishment of the mother, or Gaia, the nourishment of the earth gives us the ability to do um, the adventure of life. We cannot do the adventure of life without having the magic food. The magic food is transformative. It gives us the courage and energy to be able to take on the task. Then he put on his amulet shirt. It's a protective shirt. The amulet is protection. Protection against what? Protection against evil. Because what he's gonna face is something that is treacherous that can potentially kill him. Then he and his uncle drifted again down the river with the current, as Eric described, there are parts of the river where you're just drifting down. There's, there's nothing there, it's just smooth sailing. Doesn't feel like it's treacherous. Soon they heard a booming noise ahead of them, which increased gradually as they came nearer. So the noise got louder and louder, and this is the clash between the heavens and the earth. This is the clash between the water and the rocks, between that which is unseen and that which is seen, which is what happens to us in our dream state. In our dream state, there's a clash between what is what we don't know and what we do know. And that is always when we see what we don't know, it always clashes with what we know. When we start to understand something that we've never known, it changes our attitude and perspective of what we do know. And that is the the life process. That is the adventure of life. That every time something comes up from the depths, it transforms us in different ways. We start to, uh, we quit a job and take a different job. We change professions. We stop drinking, stop smoking, we start running, or we slow down. We were running before, now we need to take it a little easier. Maybe we didn't have anybody in our life, now we want to find somebody in our life. And that's the clash between the known and the unknown. This happens every day. So I know that not all of you are Wonderhawk and going down the river, um, but the river of life is everybody's journey, and that's what this story is about. It's about the journey of life, and now we're going to get into the forest and the woods to kind of expand I, 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 our discussion. Yeah, Doctor, how
2: can I say one closing? Yeah, yeah, yeah go for it. Um, I, I, I at first, at first, it just ended so abruptly, <laughs> you which, know, you, know, you know, the you know, end of the boat cut off. His tail feathers were lost. Boom, no more. Ooh. And I thought, you know, that's kind of like, the, like Lisa was saying, a new birth. We, we've, we've left the old world. We've entered the new world. Uh, and once we left the old world, our tail feathers got cut. I liken that to like our umbilical cord being cut right after birth. And now we've lost our main connection to the previous older world. And yes, we'll always have it in memory. Yes, we'll always learn from it and grow in our understanding of it. And there's nothing wrong with that, but we also have to be willing to leave it. We we can't keep living in that old world once we've been born into a new one. And so that thought hit me too. So I just wanted to express it before, before we moved on, that's all.
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. As so soon as that is cut off, as soon as that umbilical is cut off, you're cut off from the unconscious. But it's only a brief period of time. We don't really leave it. It now occurs to us in our dream state, when we close our eyes, we are back in that womb. We are back in um in the unconscious, learning different things about the world that we perceive to think we perceive and think that we know um it's something that actually is not really known
3: i also like in this story and i wonder more about Wanderhock or this series of the this, this tales and what things mean but what the, the pivotal point for his transition out was when he started singing. Ooh. So he's oh, yeah. he knows he's in a tough spot, he's dodging, he's, he's in a maelstrom, he is engaged and concentrated, dynamic, he, but the, uh, he finally says we need to sing this song. We gotta shut your eyes uncle we're gonna sing this song and he sings a song and that is when he finds purchase to make a transition. So, this is the song is neither pleading, it's not uh, begging, it's not saying where he wants to go or what his desires are. It's actually a song just of what's happening.
2: <laughs> <Ooh>.
3: <laughs> he is traveling free and scatheless, and he is um, traveling amongst these precipices while they're biting. And that's all it is it's just a declaration of present state.
2: And then, uh, I, I like I liken the song to kind of like a a uh, hopeful celebration about you know I mean he he says you know he he says travel will I free and scatheless mm-hmm. so he there's a part of him that's looking forward to a new place a new life that is less scaly <laughs> than it was before now. That's why I say hopeful, because we can hope for something better. And then when we get it, we know it's better, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't have issues with it, too, as all Mm -hmm. life does. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing wrong with having a celebratory moment that that pushes you ahead Mm -hmm. and makes you look forward to and be happy with, with, with a new journey in your life or a new part of your journey, rather. Thanks for bringing the song up. I'd
1: forgotten about it. Yeah. Well, I think it's very important. I think the song is, as Lisa, as you were putting it, the song is the is the story of life, right? Sometimes we travel scatheless, and sometimes we nice. travel bleeding and scathed. Twist <laughs> these precepts narrow, and sometimes. The road is wide open, and sometimes it narrows where we don't think we could get through. That we are trapped, or we're stuck, or we can't um, make it towards what we're looking for, or moving ahead. Lips against each other, biting, and where you know where the the road narrows. Usually, it takes a piece uh, of us. Uh, to be able to go through. So transformation always occurs by something dying for something to grow. Nothing grows without death. A part of you has to die, a childish part of you has to go, Uh, a more mature part of you has to go so you could experience youth. There is nothing without sacrifice. Something has to always give because what the unconscious demands is that what is uh, that comes into consciousness overtakes that which was there. And that's why we're constantly finding different things or aspects or even understanding. At least, uh, I don't know if you wanna talk about this, but we are constantly seeing ourselves or Eric, we, we are constantly seeing ourselves in a different light. The mirror changes what we see, we don't see what we think we see before.
2: One thing I like about you bringing up the, the narrow, you know, the narrowness and, and the, the lips that are getting ready to gnash and bite. And, and we've historically known that the narrow road or a narrow place, it's a dangerous place. There's not many places to go except through them. And that's why ambushes are usually where the place is more narrow, et cetera, et cetera. But on the other hand, something narrow can also be used for great success. It makes me think of the, uh, the movie Henry V with Kenneth Branagh in it, one of the great movies if you've never seen it. And the acting, it's an Academy Award performance. And the Battle of Agincourt, how did they defeat a French army that had thousands and thousands more people in their army than, than did the British. Well, they got them at the point where it was really narrow and they ambushed them. And it led to a great, great victory in British history. So it's also an opportunity to achieve something great if you use the dangers of it for your benefit. And that's what i love about jung talking about the shadow use the dangers of it transform it into something beneficial take that energy and become something greater than just viewing it all as evil and and i thought of that you know when you said that about about the narrow the dangers of the narrow
3: Mm. yeah eric you're making me remember something my dad used to say um, he, would, he told me about the when you break down the Chinese word crisis, it's all based on symbology, it breaks down into two types of other words. And one word is danger, and the other word is opportunity. Oh, so wow. in these moments of crisis where the precipices are narrow and the lips are biting, there's also an opportunity um, to create something different. So in
2: this whole birthing process. Of wow, thanks for, thanks for that support yeah. and enlightenment on another culture recognizing the same thing. Yeah.
1: I think there's a, currently there's a movie for all our younger fans who have not seen Henry V. So there is a movie called tenant it's, it's a thriller about, um, having technology to move through um, the past, it's a time travel movie and also to the present um, and how we are in the present and is the past. And Ken- Kenneth Branagh again uh, plays the evil magician who discovers um, the secrets um, and how he wants to do it, which is he wants to uh, destroy the present to recreate the past. Mm. And um, Denzel's son is in the movie, he's fantastic. If anybody wants to see it, it's um, just been released. But there's a story about um, trying to save the present from the past. Or are we gonna recreate the present through the past? And the dilemma is always there. The dilemma is always, are we going to keep being stuck in the past trying to recreate the present? Or are we going to preserve the present and move forward and not go into the past? Because that that is always the dilemma.
2: That's a great summary point, because that really that encapsulates the whole the whole story right there. Thank you. Well, so the,
1: these stories are given to us over and over again. Yeah, they're given to us by um, Lisa's uh, father telling her um, telling her the understanding of the Chinese word of crisis that there is opportunity within that. Um, so when we're stuck in one sidedness. When we cannot see the other side, we cannot see the opportunity, I think, is what Lisa was uh, very eloquently putting is when we can't see the opportunity, we are always going to be stuck in the crisis. But if we think of each crisis as an opportunity, then we're no longer stuck. It's the one sidedness that gets us stuck. You know, Jung always talks about um, compensation and the unconscious compensates that which is missing from consciousness. So it's always compensatory. Okay. Um, Let's do the forest and the woods. Okay. And uh, we'll get back to our discussion.
2: Well, a lot more came out of that one than I thought would. That was really great.
1: Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it's because of the narrow. What does it say? Um, We emerge from the narrow. We emerge from the birth canal. We are transformed. Nobody has seen us yet. We come out, we transform through the narrow. Go ahead, Eric. Okay. This
2: is a Germanic fairy tale, which uh, back in those days, the Germanic tribes had most of northern Europe, and almost all of it was forest. Not that way anymore, but which is why a lot of their stories are in the woods and everything that the woods represents. A young man once left home with the sword of his dead father. He entered the service as a shepherd for an old man who was blind in one eye the old man warned the young man about a particular forest out of which no servant had come alive. No sooner did the young herdsman take on his job than he went into this very forest, admiring its magnificence. Suddenly a three-headed dragon came threatening towards him and cried, child of man, how did you come here? No little bird dares to soil my forest. Do you want to pollute it with your sheep? You must either knock me down or wrestle me down. Which do you prefer? Said the dragon with an evil grin. The young man tried in vain to wrestle the dragon down and finally vanquished him with his sword. On the next day, he repeated his visit to the forest and found it quieter and even more beautiful than before. Then suddenly, a six-headed dragon appeared out to revenge the death of his brother. Once again, the wrestling failed, but once again, the young man failed the dragon with his sword. Similarly, on the third day, with, with a nine-headed dragon, and on the fourth day, with a 12-headed dragon, with whom a fierce battle ensued, lasting until evening tide. At sundown, The dragon lost all his strength, but that of the young man grew and he slew the monster. On the fifth day, he found a small house in the forest in front of which stood a woman as old as the hills, the Bush mother. She displayed her four dead sons and went after the young shepherd in revenge. With his sword, he slew her to the ground. His right hand was weary He could not seriously injure the old woman, but he switched hands and took his sword in his left hand. But as he switched hands and took his sword in his left hand, she pleaded to be spared. He said she first had to show him the cure to heal the old man's eye. No sooner did she show him the remedy than he cut off her head and took the medicine. With this, he returned and healed the old man's eye. The old man gave him a magic horse with which he had many adventures, won the hand of the princess and became king.
1: So that's pretty deep. The young man was left home with a sword of his dead father. This story is called The Magic Horse. Um, It's a fairy tale. What did you think, Lisa? What did you think of our, it's similar to Wonderhawk. He also goes on a journey. He entered the service as a shepherd of an old man who was blind in one eye. So he both, they both go in with uh, somebody from the past. Somebody who understands the past. Somebody who's older. They both enter, uh, both young men enter their adventures in that way. The old man warned the young man about a particular forest out of which no servant had come alive. No sooner did the young herdsman take on this job than he went into the very forest admiring its magnificence. So we are bewildered by the unconscious when we walk into it. The woods are also a symbol of the unconscious because you can't see above them. And when you're inside, all you could see is the area around you. You cannot see further out. And what you see is similar to everything else that is there unless something magical appears to you. That's why we get lost in the woods we get lost because what we see and what we think we see are two different things. That which is conscious and that which is unconscious. And within the unconscious, what we see is replication. Then we get lost because it all looks the same after a while. Lisa, what are your thoughts? I'm
3: sorry. Yeah, I'm still taken in the story. I'm still shocked by his behavior.
1: (laughs) So he faces a dragon. (laughs) He
3: he slew this poor lady's children, and then she says, Spare me, I'll give you some medicine, and he slays her too.
1: Yeah. Heartless. So there's a family of dragons and the symbol of the dragon always in Jungian psychology, the symbol of the dragon is transformation because what the dragon does is it transforms things around it. It transforms the environment that which it lives in. It's also a transformational figure, the dragon. The dragon breathes fire. It destroys the old. And this dragon, there are several dragons. There's not one dragon. He has to fight four dragons. And each dragon has several heads. One has nine heads, one has six heads. So when we face our dragons, the saying goes, you have to face your dragon. You have to face your demons. You have to face that which you are most terrified of. There is no transformation without facing that which we are most terrified of. We cannot change, we cannot grow. We stagnate if we live in fear, we're stuck. If you saw the dragon and ran out of the woods, he would have been stuck forever because all he would think about was that he couldn't make it through the woods. The other part of this is interesting is that the, the old man only has one eye. So who is the other eye? It's the young man. The young man is the other eye because the old see the past in my day when I was growing up when I went to school, when I was your age, they see the past. The young see the future. What I wanna become, what I am gonna do, how I am gonna do it, where I'm gonna go, where the old sit and say, oh, where I have been, the places that I have seen. So there's one wish for the future and there's one laments the past. But like Lisa said earlier, there's always opportunity in crisis. You don't have to be stuck by always lamenting on the past. You could actually start looking forward to the future. It's it's about being stuck, it's about finding our way through. It's that issue that we can't seem to make it. When we start to bog down and when somebody says, well, this is what I believe, this is how I have always believed it and nothing's gonna change that, that means you're stuck in the crisis. That means that you don't have flexibility to move past and see the opportunity. The opportunity of existence, the opportunity of change, the opportunity of movement, the opportunity of creation because movement requires creation. Yeah, Lisa
3: like to add to that oftentimes we resist any types of change when it's brought up casually suggested or maybe just hear little things here and there it's only when un- there is great duress on yeah. self that we are most open to change
1: <laughs> and yeah. that is
3: that is the uh that is when it happens yeah
2: yeah an old friend of mine an old man when i was young uh i was whining to him one day about how bad things were going (laughs) and you got to love old men you know they're just wise what can I say many of them are and he said and he had a lot of chewing tobacco in his mouth and he this was out on a farm and he took him a spit and he said son he said you need to remember when you're flat on your back everything is looking up (laughs) and I thought <laughs> you know, I mean that, thats just a, that's that—it's opportunity. It, it yeah. there, you have an you have an opportunity to see stuff you've never seen before.
1: Yeah. No, no, it's true. It's, it's uh, when you when you fall when you fall from a bike or when you fall from something that you've always thought that you've conquered—skateboard, a bicycle, a um, canoe, uh, kayak, uh, skis whatever it is, whatever the medium is, um, relationship, connection, whatever it is you fall from, take a moment to think about and reflect on what it is that's around you at that point. And as Eric says, remembering the old man, look up. If you're flat on your back, look up
2: everything's looking up if you're flat on your back.
1: Yeah. Look up. Because everything is looking up. Everything is about seeing a different perspective. This is about seeing a different perspective. To restore the old man's eyesight, he must slay his dragons. Not one dragon, not two dragons, not three dragons, not four dragons, and the mother of the dragons. He has to slay them all. Because these are stages within our existence as we go down the path that we live. How are we gonna slay our dragons? Are we gonna run from them? When you go into the forest, the forest is a magical place. The forest has always been a magical place. We have a lot of fairy tales in the forest. We have Red Riding Hood in the forest. We have Hansel and Gretel in the forest. We have Snow White in the forest. We have many, many stories in the forest because the forest is the unconscious. So when you put your eyes and you close them and you put your head down to sleep You walk into the forest. You go into the underworld. You meet all kinds of magical creatures. And then it's about how you see the world and how flexible you are of seeing the world. So if you stood there and said, I don't believe in dragons. This is just a hallucination. He would have, not succeeded, he would have perished. If Wonderhawk said, I am not afraid of rocks, then Wonderhawk would have perished. It is to face the fear, it is to face that which we that is unknown to us. He goes, Child of man, this is a quote. Suddenly a three-headed dragon came threateningly towards him and cried, child of man, how did you come here? No little bird dares to soil my forest. Do you want to pollute it with your sheep? You must either knock me down or wrestle me down. Which do you prefer? Child of man, we have not learned this. We haven't learned We keep polluting the forest. We keep taking things for granted. We keep thinking that other people are gonna pick up the pieces. We cannot grow. We cannot emotionally, psychologically grow without picking up our own pieces, without carrying our own water without seeing our own pain, without fighting our own dragons, we cannot grow. That, that is the dilemma for all on this planet. And if we cannot take responsibility for that, and when I use the term responsibility, I'm not talking about, don't forget your lunch. I'm talking about responsibility to existence, to creation. We have a responsibility. We've given an opportunity. We've been born into a time of crisis. We have an opportunity for change, for transformation. Let's not shy away from it. Let's not hunker down. Let's not start digging And sitting in holes waiting for things to change. We must walk out of our bunkers. We must see each other for what we are. If we see others as dragons all the time, then the wars and the fights will never end. If we are afraid of others, then we will not learn from them. Which means we won't learn about ourselves. Because the things that we are terrified of exist within us. They're not outside of us. This is part of the story. When you walk into a magical place, what you face is your fears. As Yoda said to young Skywalker, he asked, what is in the cave? He says, only what you take with you. Only what you carry. And he starts picking up his belt where it has the gun and the lightsaber. He said, that's unnecessary. You don't need that. Because you don't need to protect yourself in the cave. You need to face your demons in the cave. You cannot be afraid of them. Carrying the weaponry just means you're afraid of them. It's not transformative because you're going into a spot where you're not willing to ask the question, why am I here?
2: I have a question that I'd like to pose and hopefully you and Lisa can maybe give me some insight on this. Uh, it's all about the left hand. I grew up with a brother who's left-handed, so uh, we always got into verbal battles over that, which one is superior, all that kind of stuff. And But historically, especially when this thing was written, this fairy tale was written, historically, the left hand has represented evil. It's represented punishment. Um, It's represented... Something even at times dirty, which is why people don't shake. Most people don't shake with their left hand. Um, And yet he couldn't kill the old woman when he was trying to kill a right-handed. But as soon as he switched to his left hand, and she knew it too, before he even did anything, he switched hands and she said, please have mercy, because she knew that she was going to die now. Now, here's another thing that went on with left-handed people. Left-handed people were viewed as losing something. For example, it was believed for centuries that left-handed people didn't live as long as right-handed people. They died sooner. So that, at the time of this writing, that represents him having to lose something about his life. Uh, And yet, as you read on, He lives happily ever after. So what did he lose by going left-handed? Now, maybe innocence, maybe, I don't know, but it's not obvious in the story. And I was wondering if maybe two of y'all had any thoughts on that? Because it's an important part of the story.
1: Lisa, you want to take this? You want me to go? Any thoughts?
3: I like, you to, I like you to go lahab I,
1: I, I think it's the one-sidedness. I think that when we, as a group, we're comfortable with what we know. So if everybody's right-handed in the group, then we're comfortable with that. That's known. Everybody's right-handed. It's not a big deal. We don't need to think about it. We don't need to question it. So if we have a group of 1,000 people and then 100 of them are left-handed, then we have to deal with these people because they're different from what we are. They're different than the way we think of the world, because we approach it from a certain side. Remember that when you're right-handed, you approach the world from the right. When you're left-handed, you approach the world from the other side. You never approach the world in the same way. Just think about it. Just go about your day, and just use the other hand that so if you're left-handed, use your right hand. See how awkward the world is to you. Or if you're right-handed, use your left hand. See how awkward it is yeah. that the world is to you. This is, this is a form of one-sidedness. This is when we use one part of our brain. This is why JAMP is so effective, because it connects the right and the left hemisphere. Because yes, no longer are you one-sided no longer are you stuck on one side you are moving with both sides you are using both and that's why the most talented um, football players or soccer players are they could use either left or right because now the defender can't figure out because the defender will naturally shift towards their foot So if they they kick with their left foot, they're gonna shift towards their left. But it's always awkward when when you are a right-footed player, because what you're defending is something that's not natural to you. It's coming at you, but it's not natural to you. Its motion is not natural. So what happens is, is that usually when you have like a right-footed player on the right side, then they defend from the right. So your your tendency is always shifting towards defending from that side. Now, if you have a left-footed player who's coming at you from the right side, you're going to get beat. You're going to get beat because they're going to move. Their motion is different. Your tendency to defend in a certain way is going to be a problem. They're going to outflank you they're gonna maneuver around you. And that's why you find that they want like a, a left-footed player on one side and then a right-footed player on the other side. And that kind of complements. Remember in Jungian psychology, it's compensatory. Left compensate for right, right compensates for left. Now, historically, Anything that's different about you, the color of your skin, the way you move, how tall you are, how big you are. Do you have any abnormality? Do you have one ear? Is your nose big or small? These things have always irked consciousness because now you have to expand your consciousness to accept that people are different, that people are not the same. You know, as we sit here and speak, we're three different, very different people. Not just like um, in terms of height, gender, weight, body, whatever. We're different people. The way we see the world is different. So this is how we complement each other. We complement each other because we see it in different ways. So that which I am missing, Lisa can speak to, or Eric can speak to. I personally can't speak to it because I'm missing it. It's not in my consciousness. So the left and the right, what is right and what is left, it's two sides. When we think with both sides, when we're connected through the left and right hemisphere, we are much more effective than if we are just cut off. If we are all intellectual and walking around and telling people what to do and how to do it and everybody's wrong and we know the solution, then this is left hemisphere. If we walk around and say everybody has to love each other, everybody has to be together, everybody has to, then we're also one-sided. Not everything is solved that way. It's that connection, it's that bridge that helps us move towards the future. It's also when you have one eye. One eye means you only see one side. Symbolically, you only see one side. Physically, you only see one side. You see from one side. Your vision from the left is gone. If your left eye is gone, then what you see is to your right.
2: And you lose depth perception.
1: And you lose depth perception. And that's why you have two mirrors on a car on two sides of the door. So you have one on the left and you have one on the right. Why don't you have just have one on the left? Well, it only shows one side. That's why we need to look to the right to see the other side. Right? So you're always thinking left, right, right, left. We're always moving. Left hand is not superior to the right hand and vice versa. The creation is that we're different. The creation is acceptance. The creation is thinking out of the box. To save yourself, you must not be one-sided. Once he swung the sword from his right to his left, he was no longer one-sided. That means he figured out her trick. She depended on him to be one-sided so she could take him down. Now he could see both sides. This is, this is why if, if conservative and liberals are arguing, they just keep arguing because they could only see one side.
2: That's true.
1: So you're just butting heads because you see one side, I see one side and you just keep smacking it across and does not move forward. No, it doesn't. The ability to see both sides is the ability to be more flexible in the world. Creation demands it. It's not that I demand it, or Lisa demands it, or Eric demands it. Creation demands it. You wanna survive? You wanna make a decent life for yourself? You want things to work out? Start thinking about both sides. Start thinking of more than one way to move forward. That's my thought about being left and right-handed.
2: You know, I had another interesting point and the only reason I know this is because I read a a biography or some book on this man years ago, he was an incredible had an incredible mind. Uh, his name was Tesla. Ooh. He was uh, one of the originators of the motor. And um, in fact, I think there's Tesla cars now that are becoming popular. It's
1: based on his technology, by the way. It's yeah. based oh, on okay. his, his scientific rigor, yes. That's why that's why it's open source.
2: Okay, and it's not uh, theirs. but one thing about him is. And about this story and about religions and about stories all over the world are the numbers that are in multiples of three. And religions have had them for thousands of years. I mean, Holy Ghost, sign of the Trinity, uh, the 12 tribes of Israel. I mean, we could just go on and on and on with those multiples. And they call it the Tesla Code. The numbers three, six, and nine, because you can do all kinds of things mathematically with them, and they all, and, and, and the answers all come out in those multiples. Just amazing. But he was so obsessed with it. This always struck me that before he would go into his house or a room, he would walk three times around the block before he would enter. If he stayed at a place, he would always make sure it was a a number three, a number six, or a number nine. He called it the key to understanding the universe is what Tesla did. And, but here's what I wanted to get to, give you that background information and then lead up to is that those numbers represent a, not a physical energy, they represent a, although it does come from spiritual energy, uh, or quantum energy, it represents that kind of energy, the kind that doesn't just des- get destroyed. And um, it- it's a quantum or spiritual, not in the religious sense, of energy. That's what those numbers represent. And when I thought about that and applied it to the story, I realized he was talking about something not of The physical realm and it gave me newer insights or different insights into the story by realizing that it wasn't just about the obvious physical stuff that we see in our lives but it's about the spiritual journey it's about the journey of our energy where where is our energy headed how is it tied together uh is it is it something that we even understand?
1: So well, Jung calls it the life force, right? So I think when you say spiritual energy, we're talking about the life force, the energy yeah. that gives life and gives us the, the ability to move through life, gives us the, the will, the, um, the spirit, the, uh, the gusto, it's that energy that we're talking about. Young, what Freud called libidinal energy. But it's the life force, right? So in the life force, she says here in the story, uh, sorry to cut you off, Eric. I just wanted to no, no, that's fine. You know, throw this in and then you can finish your thought. But as he switched hands and took his sword in his left hand, she pleaded to be spared. She knew she was dying, as Eric said. He said she First, he said, she first had to show him the cure to heal the old man's eye. He just found the cure. He threw the sword to his left hand. He found the cure. The old man can see only one side. Once he shifts the sword to his left, now he sees from two sides. He sees from his other eye. He said she first had to show him the cure to heal, the, but she already knew that. He just hasn't come to consciousness of it. No sooner did she show him, because he, she had already shown him, as soon as he shifted the sword, she was dead. The remedy, then he cut her off her head and took the medicine. The medicine was the shifting of the sword. So sometimes the medicine is of laying down the sword. Of stopping. Of stopping the war, of stopping the fighting, of stopping the conflict. And sometimes it's a shift to from, we talk about it all the time, from the pen to the sword, from the sword to the pen. The pen is used to sign peace treaties. The sword is used to fight. So that I wanted to just, um, with this, he returned and healed the old man's eye. Once he was no longer one-sided, he was able to heal the old man's eye. As what Eric was talking about, the three, six and nine, which is the dragons that he had to face.
2: It just made me think uh, Dr. Lahab that a lot of times we try to fight negative spirit, negative energy that uh, affects us, affects our life force. We try to, to wrestle it out and we can't defeat it when we try to just wrestle it. It usually beats us, or at least a stalemate. He had to get help. He had to have a tool. He had to use something in addition to his own ability to wrestle with this negative life force in order to defeat it. And it just once again reminds me that all of us need help in our quest of defeating the negative Life force aspects that we that we come up against in our life, if that makes sense.
1: Lisa, any thoughts?
2: That's really interesting.
3: That's uh, I really am enjoying this topic. Uh, I don't have too much to add, except for go forth and knowingly into your unconscious without fear.
1: <laughs> Face your fears. Yeah. Ask your viewers what they want. Yes. Ask the question, what do you want of me? Why are you here? Why do you need to scare me? What is it that I need to be scared of? Do I need to be scared? Do I need to be fearful? So I think we we got through, um, we got through the rocks and we got through the forest. As we emerged from the forest, I was thinking next week we do something a little different and uh, analyze the film Inception um, for, our, um, for our pod, just as a change of pace. I know we're going through archetypal symbols and fairy tales, but this is a modern fairy tale, and it encompasses all that we've been kind of discussing. Its uh, Inception is about dreams. It's about the ability to understand, change, go into the dream, and what you can change and what you can't change, and how the dream is interpreted. I've done, um, just as a giveaway, I've, already, I've done a lecture on Inception before, but I think we'll take a different look at it this time. Um, we'll take a look at the archetypes, the archetypal symbols in the dream, but we'll also kind of figure out what each person in the dream is trying to resolve. Each character from the film, what they're trying to resolve what they want what their ambition in life is what their demons are so
2: Where it, find this movie lahab
1: i'll i'll send you a link okay it's it's on it's on prime currently um,
2: amazon prime
1: yeah okay. it's on prime so you could uh, you could watch it through prime so if you have amazon prime you basically just go to your um, your channel which is the video prime prime video okay so with that i would like to bid all of you a farewell and adieu and thank you for uh the comments and the reflections on the podcast and your enthusiasm for the podcast we greatly appreciate it and we would uh we greatly appreciate you Uh, Spending a little time with us each week, um, talking, uh, watching us or talking about uh, these aspects in life, because fairy tales, dreams, myths, stories, they're all part of our existence, they all are part of the web of existence. They're just different insights, they're just different ways of seeing the world and seeing ourselves and seeing how we're all interconnected and how that interconnection makes us who we are. So with that, I am Dr. Lahab al samurai This is the IFC's Individuation Podcast. Um, Lisa, Eric, do you wanna say uh, anything to say any goodbyes or any thoughts? Or- i just
2: like to say, I also love doing this Dr. Lahab because what we see is that a commonality between people of cultures from all over the world. And not only that, but from different eras of time. And when are we going to get through our heads that we're the same people
1: (laughs) (laughs) with with the same stories?
2: we're not we're not that unique no we're not i mean we are unique as individuals but as human beings we're the same oh, we're, people yeah,
1: mm-hmm. yeah absolutely mm-hmm. yeah
2: thank you thank you eric
3: <laughs> thank you dr lahab
1: all right well thank you guys and mm-hmm. we'll see you next week see you next
0: thank you for tuning into this episode of the ifc's individuation podcast we hope, we hope you enjoyed hearing from eric Lisa, and Dr. El Samurai. We'd also like to thank Eric and Lisa for taking the time to join us. We hope you enjoyed this episode from the Archetypal Symbols and Fairy Tales. Tune in again next time to the IFC Individuation Podcast for another episode soon. at the Institute of Conflict greatly appreciate all of you listeners. Please share the podcast with your
3: friends and spread the word. If you would like to help expand our community, like us on Facebook and Instagram and give us a five-star review on iTunes. I'm Sonia Mahmood and you've just listened to the Institute of Conflict Individuation Podcast.
2: We'll be back soon.